0: Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast, where we're happily saying goodbye to 2020 by revisiting some of the great interviews we did this year. One of the few positives we've had during this pandemic is that we've been able to get some great interviews, and why not start by actually talking about sports? In April, we talked to Long Beach Poly
1: football coach Stephen Barbie about what his O line was doing. We got some size up there, um, and we return a lot of players. I mean, you know, again, this uh, the the 2020 class was um you know not that big from a senior standpoint and um uh, you know we had a lot of guys as you guys know we played a lot of young players last year and they got a year under their belt and um you know we're really excited we've been uh, really you know before all this happened um you know getting some field workouts in really hitting um the weight room very hard uh and uh, you know it, it was it was great to see that growth uh, you know we had our skilled players doing seven on seven all of our line was going to uh, the men in the trenches. you know unfortunately, uh, every the day everything got canceled, it was supposed to be a uh, men in the trenches hosted at Long Beach. And last year we had about 200 um, participants in it. So you know unfortunately, that's that's what it's at right now. Um, you know, the optimism and stuff. I mean, we still understand that you know what we've we've had a great um, winter of football and um, we, we need to be consistent and be accountable to each other and to our teammates and coaches and doing our workouts, making these uh, positional meetings, making uh, you know the offense, defensive meetings, the team meetings, and really just um, use this time to work on, uh, you know, I tease the kids and say that um, they're taking AP football, you know, advanced placement football, just understanding everything. And now is a great time to be able to have them um, work on all the different, the nuances and everything that, uh, you know, as a, as a teacher, um, you know, and, and especially a high school football coach, you're a teacher first. And, you know, you need to be able to teach all your drills, teach the coaching points for your drills, teach, um, you know, what you're trying to do on the runs versus an odd front and even front and over and under, you know, all those different, uh, little nuances that change, um, you know, how you run a route, you know, versus a zone or a press man press. So, um, You know, it's just a a, a real good time and talking with our coaches, uh, just getting everybody on board and and understanding how we have to change our coaching style for this, you know, the the, the near future and uh, and get going on. it. In April, we talked to the brothers,
0: Tiedemann, Ricky and Ty. First, you're going to hear Ricky talking about how he developed a changeup during the summer that got him on all of the draft boards. And then we're going to talk to Ty about his move from Lakewood High School to Long Beach Poly High School to play football.
2: Last year, I I knew how to throw it. I knew how to hold it and everything, but I just didn't know where it was going to go. I could, I could throw it. It would move a lot. I just didn't have any location. But just the more I practiced with it over the summer with my travel ball coach and then I had a pitching trainer and he helped me use my body a lot more just to control myself. So it kind of helped my, uh, location automatically. So, um, Ty, you know, we,
3: JJ mentioned it, or uh, Ricky actually just mentioned you guys are very different pitchers. You also couldn't really have had more of a different path from, <laughs> you know, yeah. baseball, yeah. uh, to the pros you were, we got to know you as I think the first thing you said to me, you transferred to, from Lakewood to poly when you were what? A 10th grader. Yeah. Uh, summer going into 11th grade. Summer going into 11th grade. And you came into poly as a quarterback. And I believe the the first thing you said to me, I, I was talking to you to practice and I was like, so, you know, there's been in the past kind of a rivalry between Lakewood and poly. Is that going to be weird for you? And I, I I think literally the first thing you said was, um well I'm not here to make any friends I'm just here to to you know
4: be, become the starting quarterback and take over yeah. right <laughs> yeah the thing with me is like I, I'm very friendly with everybody but like kind of when you got when you get on the field you got to have that mentality you know you got to have a, a, a switch you got to flip and and when I'm there you know new and I'm already kind of like not as friendly with everybody it's like well you know I think I'm you know mentally tough enough to just grind it out and if I'm not going to make much friends but I still end up being the starting quarterback then that's a w- one thing but you know I, I made a lot of friends there you know it wasn't like I I, I went there and you know I was kind of like a punk or something like right. that but, you know, <laughs> so it, it was definitely like I had to have that mentality going in just in case things went south you know but I, I felt like I did a pretty good job you know kind of Helping the team out as much as I could and then and winning that starting job.
3: Well, you won the starting job. You guys then win uh, You know the division one championship um, We've been doing these five six two classic videos that are sort of throwback looks at some of the biggest games we've covered So we just did the fog bowl um, mm-hmm. You know again against Bosco, which obviously you beat them then you go on and beat modern day And then basically every year since then those two teams have been in the CIF championship. Yeah, so, um what what do you remember about your time playing football? What do you miss about that compared to being a pro baseball player
4: now? You know like the big thing for me is I always kind of hold like you know now it's like private schools, you know they're running it right now and for me, you know, I feel like being like one of the last major public schools to even like sniff a championship and get close to winning a state championship, you know, I'm always going to hold that like, you know, you know, deep, deep within me, because it was, it was such an amazing run. You, you, you guys are front row to every game to know. Like, nobody would have thought that would have happened to start the season. So I didn't it think was it was gonna like, happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody would have thought that would happen, and it just makes it that much more like a of a sweeter moment. And the the amount of talent we had on that team, the amount of like, you know, guys that are just all over the map playing pro ball in different sports and stuff. You know, it's just like you can't, you can write that kind of script.
0: You know, speaking of Long Beach, Poly, in May, we got a chance to catch up with Peyton Watson right before he decided that he was going to take his talents to UCLA. And he was talking about how being stuck at home is okay. If you've got a brother to compete against.
5: Yeah, that's, that's how I am, man. Um, I was never one for a lot of fancy stuff. I'm not high maintenance. Uh, I, nothing has to be extravagant for me. Um, whatever i get I, i'll take it and um having a hoop outside is honestly a blessing and it's underrated i mean you don't have to be in a gym to get the get the best work and you get the same work outside and you can get it more consistently honestly because i go out there two, three times a day and uh just work out with my little brother and compete so that's just going back to our roots that's how we came up playing um we didn't really start getting serious in the gym until we got to high school so it, it, it's it's definitely where I came from and going back to it is fun
3: you mentioned your your little brother uh, your parents are are very fortunate in the position a lot of people would love to be that you guys are both sitting on scholarship offers yeah. um, h- how much fun are the two of you guys having I mean you're just locked in the house together at this point are you sick of each other yet are you enjoying working out together or is it more competitive than it usually is what, what's it like between you guys right now
5: well, for starters, it's it's always competitive, no matter what it is. I mean, sometimes our parents have to stop us from playing because we're going to fight. But um, <laughs> every day, to be honest with you, it's every day it's something new with him and me. So uh, <laughs> one day we're fighting the whole day. One day we're just chilling. We'll nap. We'll just right. chill. And then the next day we'll be super competitive. So... Whatever it is, it's always something new with him. He always finds a new way to get on my nerves, always finds a new (laughs) way to get on my sister's nerves. He's just that kid in the house where he wants to get under everybody's skin. He's a middle child, for she's a middle child. That's his job, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what his (laughs) job is and he does it well. So uh, there's there's no complaints over here. We're, We're just sharpening, iron sharpens iron. So we're just competing and getting better together.
0: For some of the kids who go from a local high school to a local college, we really get to know them. And Jacob Huey is one of those guys. We actually covered him when he was playing Long Beach Pony Baseball, and then when he went to Milliken, and then at Long Beach State, and we actually talked to him in May about what he was doing to stay busy in quarantine, mostly just fishing with teammates and former rival Matt Fields.
2: Uh, so I've, I've gotten out there a few times over the quarantine. Um, I actually at first wasn't sure if I was allowed to or if I was going to you know, get a ticket or something if I went down there. Um, so I, I'll bring a, I'll bring a face mask and I'll go with Matt Fields and we'll, uh, we found like this dock that we were able to get on that was like secluded and no one's around. So, um, we've been able to get out a few times. Uh, we're actually going today right after this, uh, after this conversation and, uh, we're going to go out to the break wall off our buddy's boat. Um, just three of us and, uh, yeah, try to catch some fish.
0: How did you get into fishing? Is that also something your dad got you into?
2: Uh, kind of. So, uh, my grandfather actually was a big fisherman. Like my whole life, when I was like five years old, he took me on a fishing trip to Kern, uh, I kind of started it. We, uh, we caught something like we brought home over 30 trout, like something ridiculous, like a full ice of it. And just after that day or after that trip, I had a blast. And, uh, he would take me all the time. And, um, I kind of stopped as I got through like the high school age. I would go every once in a while, but not often. And then once I started hanging out with Matt Fields, because uh, he's like a diehard fisherman that's why i always say i'm better than him because he gets all mad because <laughs> he gets worked up because he's like he's the true fisherman <laughs> that guy that guy is out and he's either watching a youtube video on how to tie a new knot or how to how to fish certain lures or he's like getting all into the research and all that uh he kind of got me back into it because he would ask me if i wanted to go and you know, he found out that i liked fishing and, and ended up kind of building a friendship through fishing and now we either fish or frisbee golf all the time <laughs>
3: Where are, you, where are you disc golfing yeah. at, Eldo?
2: Yeah, Eldo, uh, Liberty, we, uh
3: When JJ and I were in college, that was like our college. Right, lately friends. I've been at
2: the, uh, yeah. Yeah, that I was, was big like our go-to. It's fun, our- man. I, I love frisbee golfing.
0: For sure. So you and Matt have been playing baseball against each other for a long time. He went to Lakewood, yeah. also with the Long Beach State Dirtbags right now. Uh, so that's Hartwell, be-
2: too. Oh, Hartwell as well? And I was at Whaley. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I was on the year. So it's funny. Pretty sure that Hartwell also the year that we won the Pony League World Series in 2012. Yeah. And it's funny because we actually lost to Hartwell. And then we're like one game away from losing uh, the whole, like it being one or two and done. And we like hit a ground ball through some guy's legs and ended up winning. And they like, Hartwell ended up winning that whole like tournament. But we got second and moved on too. And then we we won the whole thing and they lost that round because they went in the winner's bracket. And uh, went, like, two and out or something. And then we ended up going all the way through the loser bracket all the way up. Uh, yeah. But So I've been playing against him for, yeah, a long time. Long so time. <laughs> and just in, inside <laughs> baseball. With, uh, long Beach little rivalry.
0: Who has the advantage, a pitcher or a hitter, when you guys have faced each other a lot? Like when you're super familiar with each other, who do you think has that advantage? That's so funny you say
2: that. So uh, we actually oh, – I always give him a hard time because I go back and watch uh, your guys' highlight video of our Gamers squid Um, And two of the strikeouts that you guys showed were him. (laughs) It was him getting fanned. And so I always send him that video. If he ever says anything to me, I'm like, hey, remember when I struck you out twice? I I struck him out (laughs) three times that game. And I go, hey, remember when I struck you out (laughs) three times and they got two of them on video? (laughs) And and he struck me out my first two at-bats. And then my third at-bat against him because he was like, like, I had tricked him. And my third at-bat against him, I rolled over and I was all stoked because I, I made contact and didn't strike out like he did three times. So we have like this ongoing thing. But I'd say definitely pitching is a, a far advantage because hitting is it's tough to do.
0: <laughs> Obviously, the spring was very sad for seniors all over the world, just kind of losing that last little bit of their high school experience. And in May, we talked to Rachel Glenn, track and field superstar at Wilson High School, about what that feels like.
6: It's so definitely really weird to me because I'm thinking like, now, we would be having our, like, most intense training because we're getting ready for state. It would be next week.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, I was, I was like, we were <laughs> shooting for 50% happy, 50% sad, but now I'm just sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you guys doing anything to commemorate it? I mean, have you been talking to other kids on the team? Like, I know you guys were going to have, uh, in my opinion, and your opinion as well, you are going to have a big group mm-hmm. up there. Are you guys going to do anything? Are you all, like, talking to each other about – Any of that, I guess. Um,
6: yeah, we definitely want to do some kind of hard to like gather people around with like the social distancing and all. But yeah, we're trying to um have some of the parents and the athletes get together and do something in honor of state.
3: Well, that's cool. Um, I'm glad it sounds like you're handling it about as well as it could be handled. I I just, you know, I don't know what else. I've seen different stuff. Like I've seen some kids are doing prom pictures with no prom mm-hmm. afterwards, oh, I've yeah. seen some people are doing like, okay, my, my street is going to do a graduation ceremony, but I know mm-hmm. it's all kind of like, it all probably feels like a half measure or something to you. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just emotionally not the same, I guess.
6: Yeah. Like just the other day I saw um, a bunch of cars and they, they even had like the police officers and firefighters honking their horns and sirens and stuff. I guess it was for someone's graduation. I guess for it was supposed to be their graduation that day, and everyone was lined up like saying like "woo" while they yeah. were like, are going by. And I was like,
3: You're like, that's sweet, but it's also not. Yeah. Graduating. <laughs> like, I don't
6: know. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't. It's like a love hate kind of thing. So it's like the district will say, oh, like, cause like they'll still have like virtual spirit weeks. Like we have corn queen and corn king. I love that. I'm a huge
3: fan of the Quarren Queen and Quarren Queen. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. I know.
6: My friend is running for it. So
3: I'm like, go vote for her. Well, who? Tell everyone who they should vote for.
6: Ryan Pitt, Go vote for
1: Ryan. (laughs)
3: Okay. I've got like, uh, I I, I had to explain to someone because people tag, like we've got a decent number of followers on our social media accounts and everything. And people will tag us and stuff. Like I know there's a a player on the girls basketball team is running as well. Uh And so everyone will tag us. And I just have to send these messages like, hey. Um, I we can't retweet just one person's <laughs> thing because then it's like oh wow the five six two likes the basketball yeah. team but they don't like the track team or whatever yeah. you know so good luck to Ryan tell her I said good luck <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I guess my my last question and I I don't know this is it's it's weird because I don't really feel like I know I'm so used to telling the stories of athletes or you know even even sort of top level athletes yeah. like you and this is just such a different space that you're all in graduating this way. I guess my last question would just be, um, I saw the LeBron James special. Um, I know, as I mentioned, your district is doing, like, a live stream thing. And you said you saw the parades and all this stuff. I guess my question for you is, like, do you guys feel supported? Like, is that stuff useful? Or are you all kind of like, man, you know, bleep the – like, this sucks. Like, let me get the hell out of here. Yeah, I don't –
6: I mean, I don't want to say it, but I'm saying it (laughs) – it's like it's nice, it's sweet, but then that's back in my head. It's like, but we still we don't have anything. Yeah, forget that. <laughs> but it's like right, I no, it, effort, but it is. It's know? just like
3: doubled up thing. It's like you, it's a you can recognize. Okay, it's cool that everyone trying to help, but it's also like, yeah, I know what real prom looks like. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Softball Gatorade State Player of the Year Tiara Jennings at St. Anthony what a player what a team it could have been they were in division three and those saints definitely would have competed for a cif title and in june she talked about how much she missed that squad
7: oh my gosh just from watching these you know eight games that we've played it's just been kind of crazy how much talent we had on this team you know, but it's not only, like, it wasn't just the seniors. We had freshmen stepping up and, you know, playing a big role in our um, team and on our lineup. So, it, I was just really, really excited, especially to play with my sister, Tella Jennings, who was a freshman. You know, she was our starting center fielder who, you know, we just had a really big impact on the game. And I was just – it was just kind of crazy. Like, it almost made me speechless on how much talent is on this team.
3: We, uh, we had huge plans for you guys, as I've shared with you, that I just, like, I, I wish we could – I don't know, write about pretend playoff games or something, you know, um, but we were, yeah, I mean, we knew that playoff run was going to be epic. And so we had all these big plans and I, I'm, I'm bummed because you're still getting the spotlight. Um, but this was, this was going to be one of those teams where like everyone had a highlight in
7: these games. Right. Yeah, so can you kind of
3: shout out some of the other talent on the team, you know, maybe where they're going to college, but even just kind of like kind of the unsung players a little bit, I guess.
7: Yeah, so um, for senior-wise, you have, um, you know, Tessa Ulu going to UCLA, Long Beach native. She definitely um, was a leader on this team, as well as Jaylene Kapu. Um, she's also a big senior. Um, of course, our senior pitcher, we have Brooke Townsend, who, you know, led the team in the circle. And then you had some freshmen in there, like Zania Pooney, her sister Zeta Pooney going to Oklahoma with me. You know, we had just some crazy talent, along with my sister and um, just the, even the sophomores and juniors, like all of them played a pivotal role, you know. Um, so I'm just excited to see the rest of their season next year and where they're going to go and they're going to do some big things. So. I'm just excited. Did you
3: tell them if, if they win a D3 ring next year, they have to send you one as well?
7: <laughs> yeah, I should. I'm actually going to write that down and let them know. Because...
0: In July, we talked to Wilson football coach Mark Ziegenhagen about how he was trying to keep track of his players. Again, I, I just...
8: I feel for the kids. I feel, you know, um, they want to get back out of here. I know they do. But at the same time, I, I don't want to hurt morality either. You know, I mean, getting them all pumped up for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden we got to shut back down again. So I just hope that they make a smart decision and a strategic decision for everybody that it's going to be obviously safe for everybody. But same time, you know, I almost feel sometimes – they might be safer here at school anyways uh, than out in the community, you know, so um, I think that's the case. We keep mentioning Clemson football, you know, they had 37 guys come in from their communities, not knowing that they didn't have it. And um, all of a sudden they have it. So now they can be quarantined and they're probably in a safer environment being around school and being around the same people every day. But with us, we don't, I can't put a, 24-7 tracker on the kids and and see where they're going every day. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that they're doing the right thing and being smart in the community
0: as well. Also in July, we talked to Long Beach State Athletics Director Andy Fee about how the Angels of Anaheim ended up using Bull Diamond at Blair Field for their practices.
9: Yeah, so um, I did not realize that Joe Madden lived in – long beach uh i think he lives in belmont shore or the heights somewhere i'm not gonna told... give the
3: intersection out okay yeah i, I, I think it's I, I i won't give the intersection out but it's, it's uh he's not burning a lot of gas on the way to blair field i'll say that yeah he said it was like <laughs> six
9: minutes door to door so uh I, I knew he was local i didn't realize he lived in long beach um so i think secretly there's a little advantage for him uh to be at at uh, at, uh bull diamond blair field but uh, the GM, Billy Epler, um, reached out to us and um, it's kind of unique. Um, I, I don't know, I've gotten to know Billy over the last couple weeks, but um, Coach Valenzuela and I know his mom. His mom uh, worked at the University of San Diego in kind of uh, external outreach and fundraising for the university and huge baseball fan and was a huge fan of the baseball program there. Her son, Billy, um, actually played at UConn and so baseball family and um, so it was kind of nice reconnecting in that way but the Billy reached out to us and said hey you know we're, we're trying to figure out a training venue for uh, for the program and the team and um, you know coach coach Madden and and we're interested um, can we talk and I said yeah I said um, you know let's 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 meet out at, at, at Bull Diamond and and check out Blairfield. We'll walk it around, see what you guys are looking for. And if it looks like something we can do, then then we'll pursue it. Um, you know, it's funny, I pull into the parking lot and the first thing, what do I see is this custom, just sweet cherry, 1970s Econoline van. And on the side, it's painted Cal State Fullerton. And I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> I park next to it. And I'm like, what? who what is this
0: park next to it and aggressively open the door ding ding oh sorry about that yeah
9: I, I you know there's a couple guys working outside I'm like is this your ride And they're like no and I'm just like just not happy I'm like what is the deal here
3: I get inside and I might have got ugly
9: inside and I make a joke I see Billy and um, I laughingly go hey who's, who's Cal State Fullerton ride is that out there and they're like, oh, it's that guy's over there. And they point to Joe Madden. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I guess we'll work around that one. So that was kind of the start of it laughingly was going, what the heck is this Fullerton deal? But, uh, you know, they, they, they're very interested at that point. They felt the facility um, was what they would need to kind of get up and running. Um, we obviously, um, you know, to us, you know, we want to be good uh, partners in our community. We felt that having the Angels here um, was good for our community, for the city, to to kind of be a focal point for some sports activity. Um, Although it's not games, it's it's going to be, I think, up to almost 84 dates, um, days that they would use the facility. They basically will use it, um, you know, I think in theory, Friday might be the first day of some sort of activity out there and then through the end of the season, hopefully there's no stoppages, but that would be the end of September-ish. And then, um, you know, if they make the playoffs, it might go into October. So, you know, we felt it was something that's good for our community to see activity
0: back. Got to check in with the CIF Southern Section Commissioner, Rob Wygod, local guy, and we had him on the show in July, talking about the challenges between high school sports, club sports and changing the rule that high school student athletes can participate in club while doing
10: a high school season. And that's something that I know people are thinking that those are CIF rules being violated or these are are issues that we should be enforcing and and that's not the case. These are these are local and state and local health authorities that have provided guidelines for what can and cannot take place and And if people are conducting these activities now, these are under summertime rules. And so, kind of back to your question, JJ, there's two real factors here. The the idea of suspending bylaw 600 and allowing club activities and club competitions at the same time as high school was really an acknowledgement of the idea that we can't change our seasons as dramatically as we change them, and and truly expect that it's not going to be in conflict with club and other outside activities. So. For example, for girls' volleyball, I mean, if if they would play their normal season, as soon as that was finished, we know that the club volleyball would be would be resuming immediately. Well, for us to then put the club volleyball season from December through the middle of March, I just we we didn't feel that was reasonable. What wasn't it wasn't fair because we're the ones that changed our sports; they didn't change theirs necessarily. We changed ours, and so with that, and then the the combination of the summertime rules being extended. We just felt like in this in this unique circumstance that people needed options. They needed our schools needed as much opportunity for preseason preparation. If things do improve in September and October, that they could do a more normal run up and have better preparations for their upcoming seasons. And so we needed not be a barrier to that. And and I think we felt the same way about the the club and and the high school coexisting. Uh, it's going to be a new frontier. We. I mean, some of our baseball coaches and softball coaches have talked about it and said, well, our seasons didn't really change very much. So why, why wouldn't we still have Rule 600? Because our season got moved back a few weeks, but it's still in the spring. And, but then there weren't club activities and tournaments, things happening during the high school season in the past. Does that mean that now they will? Does that mean a lot of the club and travel programs will start kicking in April and, and, and May and, and throwing major tournaments and doing showcases and all kinds of things in, during the high school season? We don't know because they haven't done that in the past. So will they keep it as it's been, or will they now see that opportunity for uh, new uh, tournaments and competitions during the high school season? And then, yeah, it's going to make some, some difficult choices for not just our student athletes, but for our coaches too. And that's going to remain to be seen. But, but I think the philosophy from us was they really there needed to be maximum flexibility in a, in a period of time where we've given them less flexibility with the, the condensed sports seasons and the way that we had to do it. And uh, those two things in combination are kind of the, the attempt and the effort to, to help our schools and not be a barrier to our student-athletes in terms of the things that they're involved in.
3: Obviously, this is at the moment an unanswerable question, but I'm curious for your thoughts about it because I know that um, all three of us have thought quite a bit about the differences between club sports and high school sports and what high school sports offers that club don't and, and vice versa. But if I painted you a scenario where – it's going to be more towards here and more towards here. And on this end, the long-held but sometimes tenuous peace between high school sports and club sports kind of fractures, and there's really open competition, and, and clubs are really aggressively telling kids, we're not releasing you. You know, it's, it's one or the other. Um, that's sort of a worst case. And on a best case, the club sports and the high school coaches, everyone gets together and says, these kids have been through enough. Let's figure this out um that maybe yes they're doing a national volleyball tournament where there's going to be a lot of college coaches but then they're free to come back for big league games and play in the playoffs and championships which side do you think this is going to go and and uh you know what what are you what are your thoughts about that i know you're aware that you know this is this has sort of been the big thing in high school sports is is the way that that club landscape has changed
10: well, no doubt. And I think, again, the, the business of high school sports is on the club side more so than our side. It, it's become a major business. And uh, certainly there's a, a market for what happens in club and travel and all the rest that's going on now. I think just looking forward, I, I we may land somewhere in the middle of the two parameters that you just described. I mean, these are going to be individual decisions made by student athletes and families as to what they're going to do with high school versus the club environment. And Again, we still aren't really sure what the NCAA is going to do in in their particular seasons of sport and how scholarship opportunities are going to be available or not available based on some of the changes they may go through. So as this thing plays out, as I said, I don't know if if we're going to see a a brand new rash of all kinds of of club activities that will take place at different times of the year when they haven't in the past, or are we going to see the traditional uh, timeframes that they've used and now have to to manage our seasons of sport that are now going to be involved in those timeframes and see where where it lands for our student-athletes. I will say this, and I've dealt with this issue in other ways. Uh, Soccer players who would play tournaments for the first few weeks of of the high school season and join their teams later, uh, we've dealt with uh, a lot of different things in that respect. I I always believe that there are are student-athletes that want to play high school athletics, and, and when we are involved in it, and what we do is, is a unique education-based athletics program that nobody else does. I think our, our, our competition still matters. Our championships are going to matter. Whoever's involved in it is going to care about it, and it's going to be important. And if some student-athletes don't choose to be part of it, I mean, that's certainly their choice, and I, and I will respect that. But for those that do choose to be part of it, I don't think it's going to be any less meaningful. Uh, if anything, this might create opportunities for some student-athletes they haven't had. And, uh, and some of the more uh, accomplished athletes that maybe decide not to be part of it can open up some doors for some athletes that, that have been waiting for their turn as well. So, you know, as I said, it, it could be something that really does create some some wonderful opportunities for some students and and while supporting those who actually believe that that not being part of high school is, is to their benefit.
0: Long Beach State men's basketball coach Dan Munson came on the show in August and was very candid about his daughter Molly contracting COVID-19 and how that affected his family.
11: She really is. And I, I, I think, you know, uh, uh, people were, oh, it was in the paper, and that's private, and everything. But it really isn't. We are kind of a PSA for, for you know. And when you have a job that you know you're fortunate enough to be in, in in the public, you know, you you know the public deserves to to be educated, and and that's certainly what it did for our family. And because I think my wife was as strict to the CBC guidelines as as any family could be, and felt like with four kids, we had you know, for months and months done the right thing, but, but, you know, a, a senior in high school, 18 years old, Molly wore us down as parents and uh, you know, she, you know, uh, went a couple places. We're not sure, you know, none of her friends got it. But I think the biggest thing that, that I can tell people is, you know, having gone through it is it's real. You know, I think people think that it's, you know, it's not going to happen to them or it's not going to happen to somebody that's at that age or all these false things out there. But, you know, as a parent, she's 18, probably the fittest of my, of any of the six of us that were in quarantine. She'd get up at six in the morning, you know, she'd signed a a rowing scholarship at Gonzaga, you know, and, and it's going there in the fall. And, uh, um, you know, was in very good shape. And that's how I told my players, you know, if yeah for most people that are in shape and most people that are 18, but are you going to take that chance? Cause you know, she, she took, she took that chance and, and lost. I mean, she was, uh, for 72 hours there, we didn't know, you know, I mean, she was in, you know, urgent care one day, uh, in, uh, what do you, uh, in the, uh, emergency room for six hours the next night after that. And, uh, you didn't hit the ventilator but the 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 pneumonia she contracted was uh lethal i mean she was my wife got up in the middle of the night cuz she heard her and she was crawling to the bathroom trying to get to the bathroom she couldn't get there you know and you know you, you look at your your 18 year old daughter that was you know in such good shape you know, six, eight days before that, you know, never left her bedroom for eight days. So anyway, I'm, I'm giving that all that out, because I just think it's important for people to realize that, you know, we all have to stay safe and healthy. And unfortunately, uh, and my family is right now. But uh, and I appreciate you asking, because, you know, I want as many people to know that, you know, we all have to, you know, know that we're, we're all susceptible to it, no matter your age, your health, your conditions, and uh, we all have to, do our best to try to keep each other safe by by staying away from each other.
0: In September, Long Beach Poly Volleyball star Adanya Famuina decided that she was going to take her talents to USC. She got a crazy response on social media, all the while trying to stay competitive during the COVID-19 shutdowns.
12: It was just so overwhelming, like seeing like all the likes and comments. And I was like, because it was like actually like kind of like my first post. It was it was just crazy, man. Like in the first five minutes, I got like 200 likes and I was like, why am I
0: so, so you make that announcement. <laughs> Obviously, that's got to make you almost Jones to play some volleyball, right? And now we're in this situation where you don't get to do mm-hmm. that. You should be doing that literally right now. It's a Wednesday, you know, you're, you're in the gym right now. Yeah. Usually. So how are you filling that void of competition? I mean, you as an elite athlete have probably been competing almost every day of your life, as long as you can remember. So how are you filling that void where you're not being able to compete every day?
12: Um, it's, it's really hard. Cause like, that's what, like, that's like all we work for, like as a team. And like, we usually like go out to tournaments and like JOs this year and how it got canceled and we're supposed to go to Texas. And we were like really excited. And then when like the, when COVID hit, it was like, like all of us were like crushed. So we've just been doing a lot of zoom workouts and like, just to get like back into rhythm. Uh, we're very fortunate, like at the Mac at, at Mizuno. Um, They've been doing like a lot of clinics and camps. So my dad's been like putting us in that. Like tonight I have jump class and a clinic, I think.
0: We had a couple major league baseball players on the podcast this year. And my favorite conversation has got to be the one we had with Wilson alum Chase Young, talking about how it wasn't going well for him in 2019. He just wasn't doing good, but he found a way back into the major leagues with stick and a little bit of luck, and he ended up being on the Houston Astros playoff roster during the ALCS this year. Those were conversations that I was having with myself, and then ultimately at the end of
13: 2019, because, I mean, 2019 was bad. Like, I was up for a week with Minnesota, but just really battling some demons mentally. I mean, physically I was fine, but I was just, I just wasn't a good pitcher in 2019. Ultimately got released, went to Sugar Land, kind of found myself a little bit again but didn't really do great came home and you know had to sit down with with my dad and with my parent like with my mom too. talk to my wife like we definitely had that conversation like okay like is it time to get a real job you know, is it time to you know be done with this and I knew I still had game left but you know I put myself in a you know really rough position like I was out of baseball you know I got relief I was a second rounder in 2012. And then, you know, eight years later you know, I was out of the game and it, it came to, you know, rock bottom where I was like, all right, like, cause I mean, I'm a smart guy. Like I, I. And you're
3: self-aware you're self-aware too. You know what I mean? You're smart, but you're also not just like, well, this is the only thing in the world, you know, like, yeah. Right.
13: And it's, it's not like, I know I could transition into a professional setting of some other kind and succeed. I know I could do that. I've made connections, you know, all over the country that, I mean, frankly, I've been told like, Hey, like go play as long as you want. And then when you're done, like, I want to hire you. But I sat down, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not done yet. And the off season of 2019, you know, had a couple teams that were the, the company line I was getting was, you know, that's, that's an interesting name. Young. Yeah. We'll think about that and circle back, but nobody wanted to give me a job. And, you know, I was just, I was working hard. I was, you know, I, I kind of, isolated myself I usually went and worked out with other guys in my agency down Liso Viejo this and that thankfully Andy Fee was able to um let me get into the pyramid so I mean I was working out by myself in the pyramid from 9 to 11 every day and really pushing myself because I knew that you know my faith and my family and my support system were able to put me back together but I knew what was required of me to get back to the level I knew I could play at and I went to Long Beach State every day, busted my ass in the gym, got myself stronger, you know, went out, was able to work out with the dirt bags. And Coach V was awesome for letting me get out there and work with guys. And I mean, they really gave me an opportunity to come back and, you know, was able to do that. Then the pandemic hit, you know, now we don't know what baseball is going to be like. So the only job offer I had was going back to Sugar Land. So I took that, I said, you know what, that's my in, I'm going to play, I'm going to perform. But then, you know, the lockdowns and stuff happened and I couldn't get into the gym anymore. I couldn't find a throwing partner. Dude, I had these one and two pound plyo balls and I threw them against the side of the 405 freeway that comes up to my neighborhood. I rode my bike there and I played catch with a wall for six weeks and dude, I built arm strength. I taught myself how to use my hips because I was able to, you know, have that time where nothing was happening. So instead of sitting at home, just hoping, oh, maybe baseball will happen. I was out there grinding, like, and I had no, you know, solid job offer or anything. It was just like, Hey, if you get to Sugar Land, you can pitch here and hopefully you get, you know, picked up out of there, but I'm not making you know, money to support my family or anything there. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, Working hard for a possibility at getting back, it benefited me greatly because in teaching myself how to use my lower half better, like, dude, I throw hard now. My velo went from over eight years in the minor leagues. I think my average fastball was like 89. This year, I don't think I threw a fastball under 92. Like, I was 92, 94, touching 95. And it was because I had that, that time during the lockdowns where I was like, you know what? No, th- we're not done. And we're going to push through this. I can vividly remember telling myself every day when I was in my backyard, you know, using a, a cooler full of water as weights, doing prison workouts in the backyard, throwing <laughs> balls against the side, the side of the highway. I kept telling myself, I'm in the middle of writing one of the greatest comeback stories. And I'm going to do this. And I told myself that every day. That's amazing.
0: So you were kind of surprised when you got the call from the Astros?
13: Not really, because when I went down there, my first couple games, like, I was dealing. And quite frankly, like, I would look back at the board, the radar gun, and it would say, like, oh, 92, 93, 94, touch 95. And I I just kept thinking, like, that's not me. Like, that gun's (laughs) wrong, whatever. Like, I'm getting good swings. I'm striking out a bunch of guys, but that that gun's wrong. I guarantee you it's 91. And then all of a sudden, like we got on the track, man, and we got on. You know, scouts are talking. They're like, "No, like your velo's up. Like you're consistently 93, 94." I was like, "Dang!" So then, you know, I owned it. I remember calling my dad. I was like, "Dad, it's still there. Like the velo's still there. I'm a week into this, and like, it's it's not going away." And he's like, "Dude, I I think it's yours. Like I think you know you worked for it, and now you own that." And sure enough, and I mean, I was I was dealing. I remember. I struck out nine guys in four innings and then 10 guys in five innings. Wow. And then I remember thinking like, wow, like this is legit. Like my breaking ball was nasty again. My fastball's got really good life. And it came down to, there were three teams that were in it. It was uh, Houston, Detroit, and the Mets. They were all interested in signing me. And then it got into like the bidding war. And that was kind of the first taste of like free agency I had where I got to like pick the best offer and ended up going to Houston and the cool thing was is like we were in Sugar Land which is 35 minutes outside of Houston so that night we agreed to terms with the Astros I was talking with my agent and um we agreed to terms at like dinner time 6 six thirty. so I'm stoked like dude, my health insurance from the year prior with the twins lapsed so I got me and my wife there and like I don't know what's going to happen. Two days after that, we agreed to terms with the Astros. Okay, that night, I'm going to bed. I'm like, man, this is great. Probably going to go to the alternate site. Like, I got a physical tomorrow. They call me at 1030, and they're like, hey, your physical is at Houston Methodist tomorrow, 645. Don't be late. You're on a flight at 3 o'clock to Oakland. You're joining the team on the taxi squad. I was like, holy crap. And, dude, credit to my wife. When we were packing for the Sugarland season, she brought my suit and she goes, you're going to need this because I have that much faith in you that you're going to get back. So, like, brought my suit with me. Incredible.
3: That's awesome.
13: So, yeah, ended up going, meeting the team on the road, uh, on the taxi squad, came back to Houston after that road trip, went to the alternate site, and I was throwing, and I was throwing well. I mean, the ball was coming out great. They really liked all the numbers and everything. And then – went up on the next taxi squad, which I was Colorado, San Diego. Last day in San Diego got my contract purchased. And I just remember I I was just at a loss for words. And I I called Chrissy, I called my dad and I was just like, I'm I'm back. Like I I did it. And it was it was the coolest feeling. And then a couple days later we're at home playing the Angels and I threw – I get called in out of the bullpen. I threw my two-thirds of an inning, did well. And I remember sitting there on the bench that inning, and I just looked up like, you did it. Like, you busted your ass. You grinded your way back. And in a year of so
0: much uncertainty, like, you just got back for parts of four years, four consecutive years in the – Finally, we did this interview about a month ago, but I wanted to revisit it because we've had Shar Higa on the show a couple times. She is married to one Mike Gardabasio. She's also a teacher at Jordan High School, and she was so smart about how she explained the way that her students at Jordan are truly struggling.
14: One of the things that this pandemic has really exposed is that um, in addition, you know, we've talked a lot about how it turns out that the public school system was really providing the, the backbone of society in terms of like childcare, right? Um, but one of the things that I think this is really exposing is just how much the, um, how much having a place where students could go and use common equipment um, was leveling the playing field. Um, because, uh, and, and you know, not, not perfectly, right? We have, um, there's a California um, act called the Williams Act, which literally makes it um, it, the school districts had to be told that um, there needed to be up-to-date textbooks for each student, right? Because there were instances where some poor school districts, you know, everyone was sharing one book from you know 50 years ago. So um, it's not equitable, like you said. Poor students were getting you know less access to education anyway.
3: Like it's not and, breaking news to tell people that poorer people have a harder time right. in America. Right.
14: But at least it used to be that when you walked onto school campus, you were everyone was using the same resources everyone was on the same internet using the same like we've had chrome carts at jordan for the past couple of years so we've had chromebooks in our classrooms and it was everybody using the same chromebooks like in my classroom my students i had 40 chromebooks in my classroom if one of them didn't work i told them to switch out for one of them that did right um, the biggest thing for my students i think from what i've seen compared with what people are complaining with online you know complaining about online has been that for upper middle class and rich kids school is the only thing that's going on for them
1: right Right. so
14: it's about like lack of motivation it's about you know trying to stay focused when you've got you know your computer open video games and stuff like that which are all like very oh, I, real issues. I, yeah, I, was, I, I was
3: about to say. I, I think. I think sometimes when we talk about this, I, I don't. I don't mean at all to imply that those aren't real issues, no, right? No, yeah, I, I tell mean, my students all the hell time. For
14: if, if this had happened when I was in high school, I don't know how I would have coped. Like you and I, and Tyler as well, but to a lesser extent. But and and JJ to a greater extent. Um, you and I when we were in high school, like we we didn't have smartphones, right? Like we the the biggest thing to distract us was we could like kind of write boobies on graphing calculators right like that was like that was the big thing but uh, you know Tetris and that sort of thing but we didn't have the ability to to do social media in class anyway I tell my students like you know I went all through high school without once pulling out my phone in class like I didn't have a phone right. that was not an issue right so I'm thinking about me in high school with, a, with the ability to do anything. And I was like, you know, I was a 4.0 pace kid. I wasn't like someone who like didn't, you know, pay attention in class, but it would have been really hard for me. So I give them props every day for showing up. But for my students, that is not what, that's not all that's going on for them, right? My students have, um, in addition to, um, in addition to trying to stay focused for school, They've got like little siblings to look after. They've got nieces and nephews. They've got multiple generations in one household. Their parents are working. Their grandparents are working. They've got after-school jobs. Um, I have students who've messaged me privately to let me know that you know they're having immigration issues in the middle of the pandemic, right? That um, that you know families have lost jobs. I have a student whose um, whose family member is currently you know in the last stages of cancer and all of these things were just like every couple weeks it's like oh and back in the hospital and back you know and we can't visit him all these things um I i have multiple students who aren't even in long beach right now because their families have moved to colorado or to pennsylvania or across the country and for upper middle class and rich kids a lot of it is like school is your job right now and we say that a lot school is is our job but For our students, like it's not like a job because a job, you could say this is too much and and I'm not gonna do it, right? But there's this, this expectation that you're gonna keep doing this job and you're going to be even more mature and more responsible than ever before. And they've got other priorities and they've got, for each you know each student in, in one class i've got some who are on chromebooks i've got some who are using their phones my kid who is has moved across the country she's on her phone while she is walking around in a completely different time zone right um and she's on her phone She sometimes has a computer that works sometimes it doesn't um sometimes they're driving like all sorts of things that um it's just not equitable and it's not equitable to expect that kid to be able to come, to, you know, to, to complain about kids being lazy or to complain about them not being engaged. Like, asking that kid to do the same work and have the same quality of work as some kid whose biggest challenge is that they would really rather be playing video games. Like, it's really, it's not, I know that you wrote the column about it, Mike, but there's, it's really not the same circumstance for everybody. And that's, again, that's always the case, right? There's always... And students,
3: it's bad in the best
14: case, you know? <laughs> who have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of stuff going on outside of class. And for some of them, being in class is the only respite for that, right? Stepping out of their home and being able to be on campus in a learning environment for a couple hours a day is the only chance that they have to really just focus on being a teenager. And now they don't get to even leave their homes. So I've had students who private messaged me and told, told me, you know, these, you know, these are my pronouns, but my parents don't know I'm out right? And so all of these things were like normally they'd be able to get out of the house and have this experience where they are themselves authentically and just a high school student for a while. And instead, you know, I had a student last week who while he was um, typing an answer to the chat, one of his 11 cats walked across his laptop. And so we got all this like random letters and everything. It's like, you can't walk away from that. It's all of a sudden, this is your life. You're trying to be a high school student and a member of your family at the same time. And it's it's too much for a lot of these kids.
0: That's gonna do it for 2020. Come back for more What Up Long Beach in 2021 as part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post.